Well, good morning. Glad to see everybody here. I just appreciate your uh, willingness to be here this Memorial Weekend. I know uh, the, the weather's kind of been uh, up and down. Yesterday was pretty nice, and there probably could be a million warm places you could be, but uh, there's no better place than being with God's people in His presence. And so I just thank you for being here, and for those that are serving this weekend, giving up their holiday to, to serve the church, it's just an amazing thing. Um, I'm just going to be honest this week. This has been a, a tough week uh, studying and preparing for these messages. Anytime you talk about the enemy, anytime you uh, begin to walk against the spiritual world, walk against uh, the, the enemy of God, he doesn't just stand by and let you take back ground. He fights back. He retaliates, and he steals ground. And this has just been a challenge over the, the last several weeks as we've been unpacking this, because I believe the enemy does not want us to know what God's Word has to say about this spiritual war. He doesn't want us to know what God reveals is our right and our authority as the sons and daughters of the Most High God. He doesn't want us to know how to break free from his strongholds, his, his, his leverage in our lives in order to walk free in the abundant life Jesus died to secure for us. And so we uh, have kind of been unpacking these subjects, these topics to reveal his work so that we can not just be caught by surprise or walk through this life wondering why we're struggling so severely and don't seem to be able to get any relief. And so we've come to week seven here in this this series, Fight for Your Life, and we've covered much about what the Bible reveals about the works of our enemy, about Satan and his demons. And it's been a heavy, uh, a heavy couple of weeks. It's been a heavy uh, discussion as we've been talking about these different uh, subjects. But today we're going to begin to shift our focus a little bit. Um, it was important through this series that we cover topics such as strongholds and open doors, God's economy, how it works in the world, and even curses over the last couple of weeks. And we looked at the works of the enemy and the things that he is implementing and perpetrating in our world for a specific reason. As Paul put in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul said this. He said, so that Satan will not outsmart us for we are familiar with his evil schemes. We've been talking about these subjects for a specific reason, so that the enemy will not win or get leverage in our lives, will not outsmart us, so that we can be aware of his work in our world. We need to be aware of what the evil one and his forces are doing in this world, how he's trying to dupe us into following falling into his traps so that he can continue to implement his plan, his goal to steal, kill, and destroy. So we uncovered these things. We've discussed these things so we can begin to work to not only avoid, but also undo that which he has already been successful in implementing in our lives. But again, like I said, today we're going to shift from looking at the work of the enemy to now something what I believe is more significant. We're going to talk about disarming the enemy. We're going to talk about uh, defeating the enemy. And we're going to begin in our reading in 1 Samuel chapter 17. This is a very familiar story, but I believe is very significant in this subject, this topic that we're looking at today in disarming the enemy. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. Here's what the word of the Lord records. It says, the Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Succa and Judah and Azekah and Ephes-Damim. Don't ask me if that's how you really pronounce those names. I don't know. 
No, verse 2. Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valleys between them. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor and carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy as and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you, why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defied the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Verse 21 says, Soon the Israelites and the Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper and supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen this giant, the men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel, and the king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we've gathered in the name of Jesus, and right now I speak and rebuke any spiritual force that would interfere with these services today. God, we just open our eyes and our ears to you, and we ask, Father, that you would speak, that your presence would be felt and known in this place. God, that you do a work in our hearts, and as we discuss and unpack the truth of the word of God, God, let us all be changed. Your desire is not for us to walk out the same way we walked in, so God, move in our hearts and lives. Do a mighty work. Bring your deliverance. God, I believe that breakthroughs are going to transpire today as you open the eyes and hearts of those in this place. God, fill me with your spirit. Remove me from this place, and you speak. Now is your time, and we are here for you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Today, we're talking about disarming the enemy. Now, to kind of recap the story, here we have uh, an arch enemy of the nation of Israel, the Philistines, and they brought their army to kind of punk out Israel. And so they set up on one side of the valley, and Israel kind of set up on the other side. And, and here the Philistines send out their mighty champion, Goliath, this giant of giants, I would say. He was strong, he was tall, and his armor alone weighed more than probably the average person. His, his coat of mail, his chest plate alone weighed 125 pounds. This guy was fierce. He was strong. He was a sight to behold. And Goliath seemed undefeatable. And the reason why the Philistines sent him out wasn't only because he was a great warrior, but because the sheer sight of him would strike fear into the heart of Israel. In, in other words, the Philistines were implementing terrorist tactics. 
If you think about uh, our world today and what we see with terrorism, it uh, wasn't uh, uh, was just a couple days ago that there was a terrorist explosion in uh, England, I believe, at a concert. Uh, it, there's no really rhyme or reason as to why they pick the targets they do, other than to create pandemonium and panic and create fear to kind of cause the enemy that they're facing to give up, to run, just to succumb to the fear. And so the Philistines were unleashing these terrorist tactics, trying to strike fear into the heart of Israel. And here we can see they were very successful. The deal was, and the taunt that Goliath was just sending out each and every day was this. You send your best soldier to face me, and if we lose, you own us. But if I, you lose, I will own you, or we will own you. This wasn't just about a fight and a battle. This was, you know, a take all or nothing. This was an incredible circumstance. So if Israel had sent a man out there and they had lost to Goliath, then all of Israel would become the slaves of the Philistines. What seemed to be a less severe form of battle, one man against one man, in all actuality, had severe consequences. Because if Israel had lost, again, they would lose everything. So fear crippled not only Israel's army, but Israel's king. The soldiers were hiding on the battlefield. They were gossiping amongst themselves. They were talking about, oh, did you see this? Did you hear this? All these things feeding the fear in in the camp. And fear also crippled Israel's king. He was hiding in his tent. And what they were waiting for in that moment was somehow for someone just to supply something that would guarantee the victory for them. They were waiting on, on God or, or someone to come along and relieve them of this giant to disarm their enemy so that they could feel strong enough or powerful enough to trudge into battle. And as I, I think about this story, I think about uh, time in uh, my high school years in junior, in junior high, high school with the youth group when we would go on different trips and we would stay overnight. It wasn't uncommon that we would end up kind of wrecking the room, throwing uh, all the different mattresses on the floor from the place we were at and going into like one large pillow fight. You guys remember pillow fights as a, as a kid and uh, things like that? I remember we would do this a lot and, uh, and everyone who entered the pillow fight seemed to think they were a bad mamma jamma with a pillow. I mean, it's just like, I got this. I'm going to knock somebody out, right? right? But then there was the one kid whose parents had a little extra money and could buy the good pillows. You know, and when you wind that thing up, it, it goes from being the soft thing that gives you a great night's sleep to like a boulder in a bag. You know, it's just like this rock hard thing. And one hit across the face would make you see stars. And uh, if that wasn't bad enough, it was, if it was the bigger kid in the group that looked like he could hit like a ton of bricks, it was just bad news. And nobody wanted to face him. Nobody wanted to stand against that, that kid. And, uh, and my brother and I, we pillow fought, and we did this all the time. And I had learned a trick at a young age that if you could time your swing just right, you could end up wrapping your pillow around the opposing person's pillow, and with a perfectly timed yank, you could disarm the pillow from the other kid. And at that point, it didn't matter how big they were or how nice their pillow was, they entered in fetal position with an onslaught of two pillows being wielded at them all at one time, right? So, so when it looks like something is severe, when you've got all the, all the weaponry at hand, it doesn't matter how big or how strong or how scary your foe is, they will enter fetal position and cry like a little baby. And uh, we, we like to do this 
time and time again. And here, as we're looking at the nation of Israel, this was the very same issue for them. They were looking at a fierce foe that it was decked out in armor. They had all the best stuff. They were scary. They knew this was a bad guy. If I went up against this guy, I would probably be destroyed. I would probably be wiped out. They were afraid of what they were up against, and that kept them from their victory. That kept them from even stepping out into the fight. And the reason why this is significant is because, number one, Israel was the chosen people of God. This was the group of people that God came in and demolished the strongest nation in the world, Egypt, and pulled a million of them or so through the Red Sea, let them walk on dry ground to the other side. They were the chosen people of God. God had performed signs and wonders and miracles and had done all sorts of things to bring them to this place where they could have their own land and their own kingdom. Their history is riddled with the miraculous. They were an unstoppable people because God was on their side. And they knew if God was for them, then nothing could be against them. But yet they were hiding in fear. The other thing that was significant is that their king was also hiding in fear when their king was anointed for a specific reason. And we find this in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verses 16 and 17. Verse 16, it says, About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. I anoint him to be the leader of my people Israel. He will rescue them from who? Who? He will rescue them from the Philistines. For I have looked down on my people in mercy, and I have heard their cry. And when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said, that's the man I told you about. He will rule my people. So not only do you have the people of God who are unstoppable, you have a king who God specifically anointed to kill the Philistines. And yet the king and the people were cowering in fear against the enemy. God said, I've already given you victory over. That's significant. Not only were the people of God not walking in their birthright, but the anointed king who was empowered to overthrow the Philistines was not walking in his calling. And therefore, everything God had planned, had purposed, had willed, had prepared for his people was being forfeited. All because they were waiting on someone to disarm the enemy and hand them the victory. And I believe in this story, as it pertains to the spiritual warfare, I believe the nation of Israel represents the church in many respects. I believe it's because, number one, the church is the people of God. The church is the people of God. God's blessings are on all who call upon the name of the Lord. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord is saved. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord becomes a son or a daughter of the Most High God. We are the people of God, and we too have the promise that if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, there ain't any enemy we face that is going to stand against his people. No weapon formed against the people of God will prosper. Their vindication will be from the Lord. The Lord has spoken it. But yet many of us within the church, including the leaders who have the anointing of God and the call of God on their lives, look at this spiritual war and all we see are giants. It's all we see. We become terrified. And either we choose to ignore the war as if it doesn't exist 
And we choose not to believe, or we dismiss it as things from days gone by, and then it just doesn't happen anymore. We let fear paralyze us and keep us from walking in our calling because the enemy seems so, so very fierce. And my wife and I, we talk all the time how it seems like when we are really trying to fight, we're really coming against the enemy, we're praying against the enemy, we're praying for deliverance, we're, we're focusing on walking with God and putting God first and, and growing in our relationship and taking steps of faith, that in those moments, that's when the attack seems the most fierce. But yet when we neglect those things, we're like, ah, oh, I don't have time to pray and read today. Ah, oh, I'm not going to pray against the spirits. I'm not, I'm not going to walk in that. I'm just going to just try to have an easy day today. Then things become calm. And you ask yourself, why is that? Why, when you try harder, does the war seem to intensify? It's because the enemy wants you to believe that if you attack, I'm going to attack, but if you relent, then I will relent. And by doing that, he gets you to allow him to continue his operation in your life and in the lives of those around you completely unchallenged, all the while lying to you and making you believe that things are better than when you were obeying the Lord. And when we relax, things seem to simmer down because the enemy wants us to believe he is relenting. But you know what? The enemy is a liar. And he doesn't relent. And for the church of Jesus Christ, we have certain admonitions. We have certain callings of God on our life. In Acts chapter 10, verse 38, it says this. It says, And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. This was Jesus' ministry here while he was alive, and while he was preaching and teaching and performing miracles. In John chapter 14, verse 12, this is what Jesus says about those who would come after him. He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done and even greater works because I'm going to the Father. The church of Jesus Christ has not only been called out, has not only been gathered together, has not only been anointed with the Holy Spirit and anointed with power, but it's been done so so that it can free all who are oppressed by the devil to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Mark chapter 16, verse 17, just before Christ ascends to heaven, he says, these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will what? Cast out demons in my name and they will speak in new languages there will be signs that follow the church because the church has the spirit the spirit provides power and power is used to overcome the works of the devil spiritual warfare is and should be a common occurrence in the church in the life of every believer we are to take back the ground of the enemy that it stole from us through sin and temptation. We take it back in the name of Christ and through spreading the gospel, through laying our hands on those who are oppressed by the devil and speaking and praying against spiritual forces that plague people that we encounter. But far too many of us are still waiting for something like Israel to give us the confidence and courage to take our advance to the enemy. And it's interesting to me, in this story you have Israel on one side, the Philistines on the other, and you have Goliath here taunting the nation. 
it's interesting to me that Israel, the people of God, with the anointed king of God, let the Philistines dictate to them the terms of the war. That baffles my mind. If they had just marched on the enemy, they could have not only killed Goliath by overwhelming him, but they could have continued on to the rest of them. But they didn't. They stayed frozen in fear. And so it is with the people of God. They weren't walking in their calling. Therefore, they were not able to enjoy the blessings of God that he had for them on the other side of victory. And I believe the church of Jesus Christ, not just this church, but many churches, have done the very same thing in the spiritual war. Because of our fear, we've allowed our enemy to dictate the terms of the war, preventing us from enjoying the blessings that God has prepared for us on the other side of victory. To help his people out, the nation of Israel, God raised up a warrior from among them, one who had the faith to stand against the enemy. So if Israel represents the church in this story, then I believe that David represents Jesus Christ, because there are some very strong similarities between David and Jesus. One, David was a nobody. He was a shepherd boy. And even the prophet Samuel wanted to overlook him as far as being a candidate for being anointed as the next king. And just as David was overlooked and there was nothing special about David, in Isaiah 53, verse 2, this is a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. Just as David was a nobody, so was Jesus. There was nothing special about Christ. David was underestimated. Jesus was underestimated. David was from Bethlehem. Jesus, too, was born in Bethlehem. David later would become king whose throne would be established forever. Jesus is, was, and forever will be the king who is above every other king. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is the Lord of lords. Who shall reign forever and ever and ever and ever. David took a stand for the Lord, and Jesus took a stand for the Lord. David defeated Goliath. Jesus defeated Satan. And not only did David's sling knock down the giant, but the part that we don't necessarily read to our kids at bedtime comes right after that. Usually if you have a Bible storybook, it kind of ends there with the giant falling over. But something else happens, which is a little bit more interesting to me. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 15 and 51, so what it says, it says, So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Verse 51, Then David ran over, pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. Keep in mind, David was a teenager. So I can imagine at this point, as the army of Philistine, the army of Philistines that have been taunting Israel this whole time, sees this teenager come over, knock down their greatest uh, warrior, and cut off his head and raise that head up. They're probably thinking, what's wrong with that kid? All right, whose parents are that? That kid's crazy. You know, I, I could just see that. But just as David cut off Goliath's head with a sword, our Lord and Savior cut off Satan's head with the words, it is finished. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the very first prophecy of the Messiah, 
God says and speaks to the serpent. He says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Meaning, Satan, you're going to bruise his body, but he's going to crush your head. He's going to decapitate your head. He's going to destroy you once and for all. Hebrews 2.14 says, God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood. So the son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. His power has been broken. When Jesus died and rose again, all the menacing spirits, Satan, the prince of darkness, and his army, all of them were rendered powerless against the church of Jesus Christ. But though they continue to be powerful beings, something happens in the spiritual world just as it happens here in our story. There seems to be a shift on the battlefield when their greatest weapon is disarmed. Verse 51, again, it says, David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran Then the men of Israel of Judah gave a great shout of triumph and rushed after the Philistines, chasing them as far as Gath, the gates of Ekron. The bodies of the dead and wounded Philistines were strewn all along the road from Shareim as far as Gath and Ekron, and the Israelite army returned and plundered the deserted Philistine camp. When the Israelite army saw that the Philistines had been disarmed, the greatest weapon was knocked out. All fear was gone. They were encouraged. They were emboldened. And they began to pursue and hunt down the enemy wherever they lie and laid waste to the enemy. And not only did they destroy the enemy, they came back to the camp and took all their stuff. Took it back. And because of Christ's finished work on the cross, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power of love and a sound mind. He has raised up the head of the serpent and he said, church, go beat down the gates of hell because it will not prevail against you. Chase them down. Release those who are oppressed by the devil. We are to hunt down our enemy and destroy them and their works under the banner of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And we have this promise from Christ that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. The power of Satan has been destroyed. The enemy is on the run, and the church is on a glorious and victorious attack with the promise that we, too, can reap the spoils from the plundered enemy camp. The Word of God says, some we save from the very throes of the fire. All the spoils are the people who are far from God, that respond to the gospel and who are delivered from the oppression of the enemy. If we're going to follow our leader into battle as Israel followed theirs, because he's already disarmed the enemy and he's removed any reason for us to fear and he's provided every opportunity for victory, the question is, if this is true, if Satan's power is broken and the church is unstoppable, then why Are we still waiting to take up arms in the fight? Why don't we give it all we got in this fight for our lives? Why do we, like Israel, allow the enemy to dictate the terms of the war when he's already been defeated? The answer is because even though Satan's head has been severed, he still lives. 
And the only weapon he has left against the church is fear. If he can get us to fear, he can exploit our sin and gain entry into our lives. And through lies and deception, he can get us to doubt our faith and doubt who we are and what we have in Jesus Christ. And I believe that fear is keeping most, if not all, of the warriors in the Lord's army from rising up. It's keeping them in their hiding places. It's keeping them from going on the offensive. And because of that truth, the enemy is empowered to go unchallenged in our lives, wreaking havoc and causing all sorts of pain, dysfunction, and even death. But Jesus disarmed the enemy. He put both pillows in our hands. He sounded the battle cry. All you have to do is just believe. Victory is yours. You just have to go out and take it. Deliverance ministry isn't just for a select few. It's for all the saints of the church who are fighting together as one mind, one body, with one spirit, under one baptism, one faith, and one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What are we waiting for? The victory is assured. The promises are true. And today you can begin to break free from every stronghold as you take arms against the enemy. In 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, Scripture says we're human, but we do not wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. Every work of Satan. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We destroy all the works of Satan as we set people free. And maybe you're here today, and you feel the weight of the enemy in your life. My challenge for you, my call to you, is do not be afraid. Do not fear. Deuteronomy 31, verse 6, the word of God to the nation of Israel as they were getting ready to face their most fierce battle says, so be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them for the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will never leave you or forsake you. And today you begin taking back the ground the enemy has stolen from you. You speak to the spirits in your life and declare their power is over. You declare in all faith that their hold on your life over your family is broken in the name of Jesus. You call out their works and you command them to go by the blood of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And if there are people in your life you know are oppressed by the enemy, you know are under the influence of the enemy, go to war for them, pray for them against the spirits in their life and command those spirits to release their mind, their will, and their emotions so they can be free to trust in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and continue to pray and continue to battle each and every day until your knees are worn and your elbows are bleeding, knowing that the fervent prayer of a righteous man has great power and produces wonderful results. It's time to stop operating out of fear and start operating in faith. It's time to start going to war over our lives and those we love to be the unstoppable church, to knock down the doors of hell for our city, for our families, and watch the gates come crumbling down. It's time to resist the devil and watch him flee in terror. It's time to plead the blood of Christ and watch those far from him be transformed through hearing his word. It's time to walk in the spirit. It's time to wield the weapons, the mighty weapons of God, the divine weapons he's placed in our hands. 
It's time to build each other up, to strengthen each other, to embolden each other as we step out together marching against the enemy. It's time to put on the full armor of God that we might be able to withstand the attacks of our enemy. Today, if you want a breakthrough in your life, if you want a breakthrough in your family, it doesn't come from hiding in the tent. It comes on the battlefield, taking the fight to the enemy and plundering his camp. In just a minute, we're going to open the service again for worship and prayer. Don't stand idly by today and let the enemy take one more inch of ground. Rise up in this place. Take up your call. Walk in your anointing as the church of Jesus Christ. Psalm 149, verses 4 through 6 says, The Lord delights in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. Let the faithful rejoice that he honors them. Let them sing for joy as they lie on their beds. Let the praises of God be in their mouths and a sharp sword in their hands. God delights in his people. He empowers our worship wielding it as warfare against the enemy. And today, let your worship today, let your worship of the Lord be by responding to this message, by coming forward to pray. Pray for yourself. Pray for your family. Pray for one another. Pray for each other. Pray for the church. Pray for your leaders. Pray for your city, your country. If you need delivered from oppression, whether it's through sickness or injury or emotional struggles or negative thoughts or uncontrollable emotions, loss or sins you just can't seem to overcome, then today let's get together and let's pray. Let's access the power of the Spirit through the blood of Christ and let's see deliverance in this place today. And let's overthrow the works of the enemy through the power of the name of Jesus. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, You've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. When we stand, come down and let me pray with you the prayer that will transform your life and allow God's work to begin to make a change as you begin a relationship with your Creator. Let's bow our heads for prayer. God, your word is alive and it's powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. We trust in your word. We trust that we have an anointing on our lives. We trust that we have a holy calling. We trust that as the church of Jesus Christ, you have set us apart for this moment, for this reason. God, we believe you have ordained the power of the enemy to be broken, that you have ordained the the control of the enemy to be over for the church because you have set us free through the blood of Christ and the power of his name. You've raised us to new life through his resurrection. You filled us with your spirit that we would have the power to overcome all who are oppressed by the devil. Forgive us for the sins that have invited these spirits into our lives and Fill us now with the determination and the power to remove all unclean things from among us so that we could be holy and acceptable for you. Empower our prayers that they may bring deliverance to those who are hurting and struggling. 
And God, let us never take this war for granted. This is the fight for our lives. This is the fight for our families. This is the fight for our city. This is the fight for our nation. God, this is the fight that we'll continue to fight until that trumpet sounds and the heavens roll like a scroll and we see the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ come back and put to end once and for all the works of the enemy. Until that day, help us keep our eyes on the sky and keep the fight to the enemy. No more do we hide in our tents, but do we raise up now to take the fights to the enemy, to beat down the gates and rescue those who are lost in darkness. We thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Come now, Holy Spirit, fall on this place as we respond to your work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together. You respond as we sing.